Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. This is episode 116 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this episode, I'll share the best teaching strategies for online music teachers. Hey there, lovely teachers. Welcome back to the show. Great to have you back with me again. This episode is part of a mini-series we're doing all about online music teaching. So if you haven't been following along so far, you may want to go back to the start of it. We looked at equipment and tools and other goodness to do with online teaching so far. There's no need to be following along each episode at a time, so if you do want to skip about, that is absolutely a-okay. This whole series is about helping you to improve your online teaching, now that maybe you're settling into it, or you're back in-person teaching, but thinking about how online teaching might be different in the future, now that you're more comfy with it. And we're looking at different areas each week, on what you might like to improve, what you might like to change about how you're doing things now that we're out of panic mode. So in this episode, episode 116, we're going to look at some general teaching strategies that are particularly relevant to online teaching. You may have come across some of these already, you may have implemented them. I'm hoping what I can do today is help you think about some things you're already doing a bit differently notice what you're already doing and what's working and amplify that further and maybe give you some new ideas to try as well. The first thing that I think a lot of teachers have come across straight away in their online lesson is the importance of being able to navigate the music for your student. Several teachers have told me that their students have really gotten comfortable with bar or measure numbers. That Now, when they say go to bar five, their students understand where that is, or measure five, for those of you in the US. And that's a great benefit, right? They've learned to properly navigate their own music, which is fantastic. If you're just getting into online teaching with a particular student, or you're taking on a new student, then I think this is worth talking about up front. Making sure that your student knows straight away the difference between a bar or a measure and a line, and possibly also even phrase lines. I often use those to navigate in a piece, so I'll tell students to play the last phrase if it's, say, a folk song or something like that that has very clear phrase lines and it's split up into four phrases. 
I'll tell them to play the last phrase because I want them to start from the upbeat to one of the bars. And that's the easiest way to navigate that. So explaining those three things to a student up front, I think could be extremely beneficial. Just making sure straight away that they're familiar with, this is what a bar looks like. Those are the boxes. <laughs> the lines are the full way across. And then the phrases are under these long curvy lines. You could leave that one out for certain students, but it is useful for some, depending on what material they're learning. If you have a student who's struggling with this, and you know, no shame if so, I've certainly had some students who just continuously mix up the word line and bar, and it's not a big deal, it just means me going, remember, the bars are the smaller ones, or they're the boxes, and the line is the whole way across, but it wastes a few minutes of time because they've misnavigated, I haven't realised that they misunderstood what I was saying, or that they meant the opposite of what they actually said, and so that can, you know, it can hold things up a bit. So if you do want to practice this, I think it's definitely something you could gamify and use a game to work on with any student that's struggling with this as well. Once students do understand bars or measures and lines and maybe phrases, it enables you to give really clear directions. And I actually think this is something that maybe us teachers can learn about more and more in our online lessons that we can actually get better at as teachers because really concise clear directions is a simple tenet of teaching but it's hard to do effectively and consistently and it's something I think we can all get better and better and better at it's not something you ever finish learning about it's just being succinct being narrowing in on exactly what you want the student to do and communicating in a way that gets the point across to them at their age at their level of understanding so, if you're not already using bars to navigate your students' pieces, start using them and get into the habit of being very specific of what you want the student to play. For example, saying, okay, I want you to start at bar five and go to the end of bar eight. I want you to play that three times at three different dynamics. That's just a random example, but it depends what you're working on, of course but giving very clear parameters. And even the reverse, so if I'm going to demonstrate for something for a student, I'll make sure to tell them where I am, because they can't see me looking at the music. They can't, you know, it's just different when you're not in the same room with someone. So being very clear about what I'm going to play as well. So I am going to start at bar five. I'm going to play up until the end of bar eight, and I want you to listen for my dynamics. Giving very, very clear and concise directions is so important in general, but especially in online lessons because there's, you know, the video delay, there's glitches in the audio quality sometimes. And so the more clear your directions are, the easier it is to just repeat them if they were missed and for your student to know if they missed a bit. If you rambled on, <laughs> you do something like I'm doing on the podcast here. But if you ramble on, you know, give some long-winded explanation of something and then the student missed a bit, they might not even realise they missed a bit or which bit was important. It's very hard to follow these things over video calls. So clear, concise directions and making use of bar and measure numbers and lines and phrase lines and other navigational tools within your student's music is a great place to start great and simple place to start improving your online music teaching. 
The next section in my notes here I've just called, hey! <laughs> so these are attention grabbers. These are things you use to get your student to pay attention to you. Hey, over here, kind of things. There are different things you can use for this, but the reason you would want this is, well, it's actually quite hard to pay attention for a full lesson time. And it's also extra hard when you're a child and because you're on a screen, you feel like you need to sit more still in your chair, in your, on your bench for more of the time, perhaps the whole time. It's really hard to sit exactly still for 45 minutes. And yet some kids will try to, even if you don't prompt them to, they will try to, or you just won't be aware of the fact that they are sitting still and that they don't normally do that in the studio in the same way. So first of all, just don't worry about getting your student off camera occasionally, you know, if you need to get them up and down. Some of these hey suggestions will have them doing that, and I think that's perfectly fine. You're not going to send them into another room for 10 minutes, but if they're off camera for a second because you have them jumping up and down, I think that's fine. The first way to get their attention doesn't have them going off screen. It's on your end. And that is to use some kind of a sound effect or a silly cue or gimmick, basically. So I talked about this a little bit in the last episode when we talked about fun. I have sound effects that I use through Ecamm Live. If you're curious about that, you can go back and check out the tools episode. I play the sound effects directly through that. You could also play them just from your computer, just have files ready. You could have buttons, you could have silly things, physical things that make noises in your house, that, in your room, in your office, wherever you are, that get your students' attention and that they're used to hearing from you. So, you know, squeakers or like dog toys, whatever. Silly little cues like that, or it can be things visually that you shake, like the pom-poms that we talked about last time, that kind of thing. Anything that is a bit of a pattern interrupt is great to have on hand and adds that little bit of creativity and fun to your lessons, yes, but it also in a way adds some predictability to your lessons, which sounds odd when I'm talking about pattern interrupts, but it adds sort of something that your students can latch on to that is a fun thing that happens from time to time in their music lessons, right? So it's it's like something they would see in a TV show that they know it's coming at some stage, but, you know, it pops on whenever it does, and it's something to look forward to. I guess that's what I'm really saying, something to look forward to that they know is coming, but they don't know when it's happened. So silly little things like that can be great. You can also do tricks like just leaning right into the camera and asking your student to come close so that you can whisper in their ear. Students will find this silly and a little bit, you know, baffling at first, but they'll go along with it and it's really fun. So you lean right in and you say, come close, come close, come close, come close. I want to tell you about, right? And you whisper something to them. Um, a loud whisper, obviously, so that they can hear you, but just silly effects like that can be great and can, again, be a pattern interrupt that changes their perspective, gets them out of a rut, gets them to pay attention to you again if they're drifting a little bit. It can be really easy for students to drift in online lessons, not just because they're sitting still for so long or because it's hard to pay attention to a screen more than a person, but also because they're in their house and there's other stuff. You know, there's often 
pets who feature within our lessons online, or there's siblings around, there's other stuff in their house that they could be doing, and that's going to be on their mind because it's just there. It's not, they're not being rude, they're not not paying attention or giving you respect, but they're in their home environment and it is very different. So little things like leaning into the camera, sound effects, silly cues, and also things that you can get students to do. So one thing I use probably quite a lot is if I want a student to practice something, practice recalling something. So for example, if I have a student who's really struggling with the last chord of their piece, right? The last chord of the piece is often up high or down low and they can't read it all that easily and they need a bit of extra practice finding that spot on the piano if they need to jump to it quickly, right? That happens in a lot of pieces. And so I'll get them, if they're struggling with something like that, to just, I say, okay, stop, play the chord, okay, stop, take your hands off the piano, put them on your head, close your eyes, and now shake your head back and forth, and now find the chord again. And I'll do that a few times. Or, I mean, it doesn't have to be that exact sequence, I make it up each time. Another one I might say, okay, this time, take your hands off the piano, get up, run around your bench three times, sit down, play the chord again, right? So just little things like that. And what I'm really getting them to do is to find that spot on the piano again and build the memory of that so that we push it further towards their long-term memory. And it also gets them up off the bench or focusing on a different spot or looking in a different way, closing their eyes for a second. All of that stuff is beneficial for keeping their attention levels up for the whole lesson. Otherwise, you can also just use some silliness siestas, right? You can just get kids up off the bench and doing something silly for a minute. You can get them to do five jumping jacks. You can get them to play 30 seconds of air piano while standing up like Jerry Lee Lewis style. You know, silly little things like that. If your student needs a wiggle break, they need a wiggle break. There's nothing you can do about it except to get them to wiggle. They're going to appreciate it. And they're going to pay so much more attention for the rest of the lesson that they'll easily make up for that time. So those are some suggestions for the hey, look at me (laughs) type of things that we need in our online lessons even more than in person. Other aspects of online lessons that you can really make the most of the situation is to do with students writing things down. So In person, it is usually faster for us to write for the student, and we often default to that, although I know some teachers do have students make their own notes during the lesson, but it can be so much faster for the teacher to write it that we do write notes for them. However, you can't do that in an online lesson. You can type things and send it later, but it's a great opportunity, actually, to get them to write it. So instead of you typing things out, or as well as you typing things out, Get your students to write down some notes of what you've been talking about. So what was the practice strategy we did? Okay, will you write out the practice steps so that you can remember them during the week? Or what was the notes for that scale? Can you take out a a piece of manuscript paper and write them down? So getting your students to take notes and write ideas down, it is great for their retention. It's great in general. But In this situation where they're sitting in front of a camera, it also can get them off the bench as well. Because often the easiest way for them to write it down is to simply get up and use their piano bench as their table. And it'll just give them that moment to sit on the floor and wiggle their legs side to side if they need to as well. So 
it's great for that reason too. Some other teaching strategies I wanted to share with you are around groups. So if you're teaching any kind of groups, whether that's two students at a time or larger groups, whether they're occasional or regular ones, there's a few things, a few simple tricks that I've found work really well in my buddy lesson time and group workshops. One is in Zoom to just make use of the mute and waiting room features there. So if you're teaching larger groups, you can use something called breakout rooms in Zoom, but I don't use that feature. I simply put students into the waiting room when I want them to work on something independently for a few seconds and then take them back out of the waiting room. It works great. Now, I don't do that a ton of the time. I Most of the time, if we're in a group, I want to be working as a group, right? But sometimes you just need students to figure something out or not be self-conscious. So one time when I used the waiting room a lot was when we were doing our composing and especially the first stage of our composing. So I did that during buddy time and yet I introduced the composing project to my students. And then each one of them, I gave them the scale they were going to use. We just used pentascales for that project to keep things simple and, and even for everyone involved. So we just use pentascales, introduce the pentascale to the student and say, okay, I want you to come up with a short phrase using that pentascale. I'm going to put you in the waiting room for just a minute while you think about that. So that means they can play around with it and not feel self-conscious or anything like that. You can use the mute feature almost the same way. The difference is I would put the first student into the waiting room rather than mute them so that they're not distracted by me talking to the second student. But you can do it either way. Could introduce it to both of them and then just mute both of them. I use the mute feature a lot more and I use that a lot in my group workshops as well as buddy lessons where okay I want you both to work on that specific aspect and I would just mute both of them and then I can unmute them on my end and check in with little bits and pieces that they're doing and stuff like that. But I also use this mute feature not just for independent work. I use it for one student playing and the other trying to play along. So in this scenario, one of the things we lament a lot <laughs> in online music lessons is that we can't play duets. And while we can do something fancy and use special software to do it, yeah, we basically can't play duets. That's the truth. But what you can still have students do is play a duet on their end or play along with each other on their end. So you can have one student playing out loud, as it were, and then mute the other student, and they will be able to hear the first student and play along with them. And then you can reverse that. So you can't hear the combination, but they can. So they can still get practice in that way. And it can be great for pieces that both students are learning and you want them to work on it in unison because they learn from that. And also actual duets as well. So that's a great option for that. Another thing we do is, without muting them, to actually ghost on the keys. So I call it ghosting. What I mean is lightly depressing the surface of the piano key, but not actually playing a sound. So I use that a lot in general practice and stuff with students, and it's great for this situation. We often do this in a format which I call a relay. So we'll relay through a piece playing one bar each or two bars each or one line each it doesn't matter 
But what we're going to do is basically let's give our students names, right? Because otherwise it's so confusing. So let's say Violetta and Violet. Why not? So Violetta plays bar one. Violet plays bar two. Violetta plays bar three. Violet plays bar four, right? So we're going through like that relaying back and forth and back and forth. But while Violetta is playing bar one, Violet is going to ghost it on the surface of the key. So she's actually fake playing along with what Violetta is playing and then the reverse and then the reverse. It helps them to keep in time with each other and play. Now, in an online lesson, there is an extra consideration there, which is that they're not going to come in exactly on time. So there will often be not quite a full beat usually, but there is an extra little bit of time because of the video delay. So they don't come in bang on the beat and you have to just make allowances for that and that's obviously fine. But those relays and that tactic of practice in general is a great option. In person, we do it all the time. You know, I'll have one student at one piano and another at the digital and they'll do the relays back and forth. The only difference really with the online version is that they won't quite come in bang on time. If in person, I would be expecting them to come in without a delay like it should sound like one person is playing the piece can't quite demand that in online lessons but it's still a great way for them to practice a piece so that's a few options for groups in terms of using making use of that mute and the waiting room feature it's super simple but um if you're not if you've been struggling with the concept of how groups could work at all maybe it'll help you to think through that the last section I wanted to talk about in terms of teaching strategy is all about practice. This is one of those things that I believe we can use the online format as an opportunity to really dive into. Getting students to learn some great practice techniques and working through them with our students because maybe there's some things you have to leave out when you're teaching online. Maybe You've found that you just really can't cover their road pieces because you don't have an overhead piano camera yet and it's just not navigable. Whatever it is, you might have something that you're leaving out a little bit. And you might have that extra bit of time that you can spend really honing their practice skills. So I have a few suggestions for you for practice strategies that you can teach. Now you can teach these in person, absolutely, but they're ones that I've been using in my online lessons lately. The first one is called Brain Sync, and this is not me. This was by a wonderful member called Laurie. Laurie came up with this idea and the name Brain Sync, which I love. And the way you do this is it's almost like the relay before, but a little bit different. So, what you're going to do is you're going to play a piece of music that your student knows fairly well. They have it open on their end, you have it on your end. You tell them you're going to start playing. And at some point, randomly, you're going to stop and they need to pick it up from there. And they can stop anywhere they like and you'll pick it up from there and vice versa. So the difference here with the relay is that you're not doing like a bar, a bar, a bar, a bar. You're going randomly in the middle of bars and in the middle of phrases and at weird points you're stopping and they need to start right from there. This can help with their audiation. So they're hearing the music, following it following the score accurately and all of that stuff. So it's a great practice strategy, not one they can do on their own exactly like that, but similarly to that, they can make themselves do this to themselves and do it silently 
or switch between playing and singing the music at random points to practice this themselves. The next strategy is crossing the river. This is a classic in our studios, probably our go-to strategy. And I've recently been seeing the benefit of it even more in my studio. So let me explain it to you first. Crossing the river is where you get three objects. I use three hedgehogs when we're at the studio, but you can use three anything. Three small things, three rubbers, three chapsticks, whatever. Put all three of the objects on the left side of the piano. Play a particular section or a whole piece with a goal in mind. So I'm going to play bars two and three without stopping. Okay, that's a simple goal. If you do that, if you play bars two and three without stopping, you're going to pick up one of the objects and move it to the right side of the piano. Try it again. If you play it right again, move another object from the left to the right. If you make an error at any point, you move an object back across the river. So the aim is to get everything over the river. The magic of this is, it's basically just playing it three times in a row correctly. That's what that is. (laughs) But it gives something physical to move, which means that you can visualize it and students are more likely to follow through with it and really do it at home. And it feels more like a game, which is a selling point as well. The magic I mentioned, the extra magic I've seen in my studio recently from this, is that a student who's been very good about doing this, and we've been working on that, you know, one of the strategies she would have been familiar with for a while, and she's particularly good about following through with it because her mom is a particularly supportive piano parent, right? So her mom helps her to implement it at home and she does it by herself now, which is great. But what I've seen recently is that if I ask her to play something, like, okay, we'll just play that a few times, she will do Crossing the River by herself, like, without the objects. (laughs) She'll just, if I say, okay, play that a few times to make sure, like a couple of bars or whatever that we've been working on, she will do Crossing the River. In other words, she will keep going until she's played it three times in a row correctly, just as a default mode now. Now, that's not always the best practice strategy, but it's a great backup one. And I think we would all agree that if a student is going to do no practice strategy, so just bashing away at a piece until it's sort of correct and then leaving it, which is what most students are doing most of the time, or they do some version of three times in a row correctly, we would choose the latter, wouldn't we? So it's great that that's her default mode now because we've done crossing the river for quite a while. Now, there are so many practice strategies that you can teach really well in online lessons. I'm just going to share one more with you, but know that there are more of these in a YouTube video I did a little while back. So it was about teaching practice in online lessons. If you just look that up in YouTube, you should find it. We'll also leave the link in the show notes for this episode. So that'll be at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 116. The final practice strategy and the final teaching strategy that I want to share with you is called the careful crab walk. So this is how the careful crab walk works. That's hard to say. This is how it works. So you're going to pick one part, one thing from the piece that is causing trouble. So let's just say it's going from this chord to that chord, like just one tiny little spot. You've got two chords and the technique of switching between them is tricky for your student. So they're going to play those two chords as slowly as they need to until they get those right. 
And then they're going to do a little bit of a careful crab walk. So the crab is going to step slightly to the side and slightly to the other side to make sure that the sand is safe on either side. And he's going to test that sand before he moves on. So you add one note to the left and one note to the right, in other words. So the crab goes a little bit over here, a little bit over there, and then he plays that part to make sure. So now you've got the two chords and the note that came before it and the note that came after it. You play that. If you're sure about that, the crab is very, very careful. So only when he's sure, he will add one more and one more. And he's keep crab walking either side until he feels really comfortable that he's got those two chords and the surroundings. So it's a simple, simple stepping out away from a troublesome area. But the crab gives it that visual aid that definitely makes it more fun and engaging and memorable for the student. So those are my teaching strategies that I wanted to share with you today that I think are particularly pertinent to online lessons. But I'd love to know about your lesson. What's changed about the way that you teach when you're teaching online? What did you have to adjust? What did you have to amplify? What did you have to cut? Tell me about it over in the Facebook group or in the show notes, the comments for this show notes for this episode, which will be at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 116. Coming up next week on the show, we're talking about backup plans. In other words, what to do when it all goes wrong? What happens when the tech fails? What happens when the student has a meltdown? What do we do? I think it's great to have a few backup options in place, and I'm going to go through several different options so you can find one that will work for you in next week's episode. I'll see you back here then for our backup plans, and I hope you have an awesome week ahead. Bye for now. One of my favorite teaching strategies, no matter where I'm teaching, is to use games to teach music theory. If you need access to great games, including ones that work for online lessons, you can get them inside Vibrant Music Teaching. Just go to vmt.ninja and sign up today to become a member and get instant access to everything. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.